Chapter 5 Meet the Duprees A bright yellow sofa practically jumped out of the room at you. It was a conspicuous choice in a home that featured an otherwise formal tone. Now this is our sitting room where we have the TV. I notice you ogling our crawler, Jody. It's that new Kadon multilobal nylon yarn, lovely as silk, but cleans easy and always stays tidy. She sounded like an ad as she breezed her way through the home like a southern Jackie Kennedy showing America the White House. Oh, I said to be polite. Grace touched the arm of the piece. Yellow is a wonderful color. She had an odd tone in her voice and it caused me to perk up. Liz, your home is lovely. You've created a masterpiece. I breathed a little sigh of relief. I was always on the alert for signs of another spell coming on. Liz lowered her eyes demurely. Oh, now then, it's just what I do. You know, with the interiors and the design and all. Designed by Dupree. Big Jim remained stone-faced and looked bored by it all. Very elegant, I added. I felt uncomfortable. Liz provided a whistle-stop panoramic of their home and my head was bursting with all the images. Each piece had a narrative regarding its history or where she had acquired the item. What struck me most was her use of bright color. The home gave you the feeling you were walking inside a huge rainbow made out of furniture. She had covered many of the extremely formal pieces in bright fabrics of lurid shades and prints. The old glider cushion made more sense now. Most of the work I do is dedicated to the elite of Jackson. We just completed the Balfour home, you know. The perplexed look on our faces solicited further embellishment. Ruba Balfour is the Literacy Committee Chairman of the Hearts of Camellia. She held up a finger to her lips to signal secrecy. I'm not supposed to know, but I'm in the cut for bid recruit. She wrapped an arm around Grace. Once I'm in, I'm going to nominate you for a novice. It will be just like old times at college. Remember our rush days? She giggled and looked off as if picturing the memory, something only she could see. She held on to Grace a little too long for comfort. Big Chim had enough. Is that stew about ready yet? He said stew like he was adding the letters S and T to the word U. I'm about dog hungry. Liz opened her arms dramatically to lead us toward the dining room. The sleeve of her hostess pajamas drifted through the still room as a bird will trail a swath of nest cloth. She took her husband's arm and led the procession like Loretta Young making a grand entrance for the camera. We followed after the Dupree kids and I smelled eucalyptus mixed with the scent of simmering game. Now Jody, you sit right here and Grace, you and Willie take these two across the murky and gay. Big Jim walked the length of the table to pull Liz's chair at the far end. The table was set with pale blue linen napkins and a wealth of sparkling flatware. The soup bowls were turned upside down for some reason and boasted their make and had royal standard fine bone china England garland etched in the center. The butler's door pushed open and that was when I first saw Janine. There was something regal about her that almost knocked you over. Something else, like an aura, had entered the room with her. She was one of those people who didn't have to put on airs or prove her worth to you. She had that certain something about her that was completely captivating. The feeling I got when I first saw Janine has only happened to me twice in my life, and this was the first time. 
She was wearing a simple cotton house dress with some pale colored design. I felt like in another set of circumstances, we would be serving her. She would be a kind of queen for the rest of us to follow around. Liz lifted her arm and said, Janine, you may go ahead and serve the main dish bourguignon first. Yes, ma'am, Janine said. She kept her eyes cast downward. I'd seen that look too often before. A black person in a servile role acting as though they're following a script. She carried a large silver-lined crystal bowl filled with green salad. I could see tiny shreds of kale and carrots and thought how long it had been since I'd eaten fresh vegetables. She placed a helping on my salad plate and I could smell her perfume. The scent of citrus mixed with forest woods. It was intoxicating. She wore the fragrance as it was intended, as an extension of her spirit. Janine served Liz, Big Jim, and then Grace and Willie. Big Jim dove in immediately and asked Janine, Did you make them good yeast rolls? He kept eating and didn't look up. Grace smiled at Janine and I sensed trouble. Grace had always befriended the domestic workers at Woody and Babe's house with disastrous results. Janine moved like a dancer moves with the air. Yes, sir, Mr. Jim. I will be back with the rolls directly. It came off strange. Her voice was refined and collegiate, and he sounded like an old redneck. Liz picked up her salad fork and glanced around the table. We are so lucky to have Janine. It's difficult to find quality help these days with all these movements and uprisings. She placed the tiniest piece of lettuce in her mouth from the backside of her fork. Janine returned, pushing a mint-color metal tea cart through the swinging kitchen door. The pungent musk of cooked venison overwhelmed the room. To me, the only thing worse smelling than cooked deer was cooked lamb meat. I moved the salad around on my dish, my appetite gone. Liz squealed, Oh, won't you looky here, kids? Our survey de chevreau. It looked like a big terrine of soup to me. Big Jim slid his salad out of the way to make room for the soup bowl. I'll take two helplings right now of that stew. He gave the bowl another push with his thumb to emphasize. Janine began portioning out the steaming concoction. Liza lifted a spoonful to her lips and Liz raised up her finger. Now chew slowly, dear. Remember, slow eating burns more calories. Liza ground on her food with a vengeance. Grace lifted a bite to her mouth. My, this is quite delicious. Thank you, she directed at Janine. Jim Jr. looked over at his father with admiration. Daddy took this dough down himself. He got her with a liver shot. She ran and tried to get away, but Willie interrupted. This is a mama, dear? Her face betrayed her shock. Jim Jr. repeated himself, perturbed. But drawing out the word and glaring at Willie. But Daddy chased her into a swamp and slit her throat. He smiled at us as he relished the memory, then made a motion across his neck with his fork. Dirt had gathered in the folds of his skin, creating lines of black beads. Grease from the main dish dripped down his fat face. Liz interjected, Oh, now, we don't have to go into all that. Let's enjoy our cuisine. Jim Jr. added, and there was blood everywhere. He grinned, still looking directly at Willie. My sister was quiet. There was really nothing to say. 
We ate without speaking, the group of us, sounds of slurping and spoons against the fine china, breaking through the silence. I'd focus my gaze on a wall painting. It was a strange scene which featured an old antebellum plantation. Black slaves were depicted working in the huge fields. A mule-drawn wagon filled with harvested cotton bales commandeered the piece. Homestyle shacks with smokestacks lined the acreage and led up to the main estate. There were huge palm-looking trees waving in a dark and cloudy sky. The entire scene was bordered in an elaborate gilded Baroque frame. Two lost eras forever coupled together in time's endless web. Jody, Liz was talking. I had become so entranced in the painting, I had disengaged from the dinner party conversation. It was like that night gallery episode about the Nazi war criminal hiding out in South America. He would visit the art museum every day and spend hours looking at a painting of a man in a boat. The river in the picture was surrounded by mountains and a lush green forest. He was obsessed with the scene depicted on the canvas. He had dreamed he was the person in the boat in order to escape his terrible life. It ended with God granting the man's wish, but by mistake, he was caught forever in the wrong picture, one of crucifixion and torture. Yes, ma'am. Jody, we were talking about school. I tried to focus and bring myself back to real time. One thing was for sure. I didn't want to be like the Nazi and spend eternity trapped in a picture and in my case, an old slave plantation. They were all looking at me. What are your interests? Oh, I guess like everybody, I like to read, history. I never knew what to say when people asked me questions like that. I sensed they really didn't care what the answer was. Jody is an excellent student. Grace looked at me, her eyes shining. Liz smiled her smile. Well, she'll just love Mara. Murrah High School is where you'll be attending, Jody. Now you do realize this is going to be a grand experiment starting Wednesday. They are going to be busing children to school from all over our city. Big Jim scraped the last bit of stew from his bowl and snorted. I already knew about Jackson being one of the last cities in the United States to integrate the school system. I'd never attended an all-white school myself. I had been born the same year it took the Supreme Court to declare segregation unconstitutional. By the time I got around to entering the first grade, anybody could go. That bullshit's going to blow up in their faces. You could see the unchewed food in Big Jim's mouth as he went on. Sure fail bringing them niggers and the whites together. Not meant to be. Liz beamed. Liza and Jim Jr. will be attending Immaculate Conception Academy, the school where you'll be teaching, Grace. We decided to enroll the children in private this year. The grounds are lovely. She smiled and nodded her head up and down as she shared the plan. Land is the only thing in this world worth working for. She trailed off and was looking up at something, but I couldn't figure out what it was. The only thing worth dying for. Big Jim kept eating without looking up. We done fought for our land, and we ain't going to lose it now. You can bet on that. She turned back to the table. Because it's the only thing that lasts. 
She batted her eyes at us. Her fake strip eyelashes were midnight black and perfectly symmetrical, but they still looked good for store-bought. Big Jim finished his thought. Ain't nobody getting this land, that's for goddamn sure. He gripped his soup spoon so hard his knuckles had turned almost white. Liza stopped chewing and looked up at her father with something more than father-daughter adoration. Daddy goes to night meetings. Big Jim shot her a look that made the hair on my arm stand up. I didn't have to think hard to know what kind of meeting she meant. Janine re-entered the dining room, this time with a huge lemon meringue pie. I could smell the fresh-squeezed Meyer lemons, eggs, and sugar. Big Jim pushed his dish away to make room for a hefty slice of pie. Yeah, people of like kind educate better together. He looked over toward Janine, but she was slipping quietly from the room, phantom-like. Liz squinted her eyes at Grace. I know I shouldn't, but Janine's lemon pie is downright sinful. You can always tell a lady by the way she eats in front of folks like a bird. It all suddenly made sense. She was pulling quotes from Gone with the Wind and passing them off as her own thoughts. Fiddle-dee-dee, I'm going to go ahead and eat every bite on my plate like a field hand, she giggled. Grace said, well, this pie is certainly delicious. I don't know when I've ever tasted a more flaky crust. I wonder, does she use Crisco? It sure is, Willie added, her mouth full. Willie usually had a positive note to contribute. I love good pie. She was charming, Willie, with meringue on the tip of her nose. Everybody laughed, even Big Jim. It was the best lemon meringue pie I had ever tasted. The quality of a five-star restaurant, or at least what I presume dessert in a five-star restaurant should taste like. People think meringue is supposed to be light like air, but they're wrong. A proper meringue is heavy and thick with drops on top the consistency of congealed honey. Janine's pie hit all the right notes, and then some. The covered breezeway from the cottage to the main house gave the property a feel of luxury. I'd looked for Janine when we exited the back of the Dupree home, but the kitchen was sterile and empty. There was nothing left like no one had ever been there, like she was never there at all. It felt good to sleep in a real bed for a change after the long bus ride. When I woke up the next morning, I felt rested like I hadn't felt in a long time. It was true what they said. A good night's sleep made a world of difference. A new morning in a new town with a new beginning. You can say what you want about me, but I'm all for a fresh start. Lord knows we'd had more than a few of those in my 15 years. I hung on to the hope that Grace would do good this time. But like always, I had eyes in the back of my head.